But I noticed that the more that he held tightly to that bird, that bird wasn't going to make it. And there's something about holding tightly to our possessions. What Peter was trying to tell Ananias and Sapphira was one, don't lie to God. But two, why, why do you think holding back a part of it is going to bless you? If, if you believe that God's your provider, why not just give it all to God? You're watching Barnabas do this. You're watching other people do this. And when you have a full trust in God, you're not trying to cling to your stuff. You're not trying to cling. When God asks you to give something, he intends to bless you on the other side of whatever he asks you to give. When God leads you in a conviction. Now, these disciples were doing this from a free will offering. There was no pressure to do this. Last weekend, there's no pressure. Uh, when, when we ask you to be a part of giving in the offering, we're not trying to say, do this until you, you know, don't have enough money to pay for it. We're just saying, give to God, trust him to take care of your needs. Whatever God lays on your heart to give to him, continue to rise in a place of generosity because the world of the generous gets larger and larger while the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And when you don't fear God, to fear God doesn't mean to be scared of God. It means to trust God. To fear God means you actually believe there is a God and that God is to be honored, to be esteemed, to, to be respected. It is to firmly embrace God's heart, to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. God doesn't hate people. God doesn't hate human beings. God doesn't, even sinners, even this guy who committed a heinous crime in Uvalde, Texas, God still loves him. Now, in our human minds, we don't understand how could God love someone who did something so terrible? Why, why would I love a person who does something so terrible? We need to carry a love for humanity the way that God loves humanity. Otherwise, we won't know how to help change people who are in a process of headed towards destructive paths if we don't learn how to love people the way God loves them. We hate sin. We hate darkness. We hate the effects of sin, how it brings so much pain and destruction in the earth. But the fear of the Lord is to love what God loves. God loves people. To hate what God hates, God hates sin. And to have a, a cherished value on his presence and his word. To say, God, I care about your word. I care about your presence. I honor you. Lord, when I miss it, I want to be sincere and honest with you. The fear of the Lord is not perfection in your life. It is surrender. This is what Peter was trying to teach to them in this moment. It says a great fear seized the whole church in this moment and everyone who heard about these events. Now, after this, the apostles performed, in verse 12, many signs and wonders among the people. Where there is a reverence for God, there's more miracles that can happen. I remember preaching at a church in Peru, and it was a massive church, and this was several years ago. This was 10 years ago, and things have changed since then, but I remember when I preached, nothing happened, and I thought, man, I am a bad preacher. You know, like one person got saved, one person got healed, and I, I was preaching my heart out, just sweating, and uh, the translator, he was kind of falling asleep on me in the back, you know, like he would sit down. I was up at the front of the stage. He was sitting on the drum. He was literally sitting back here just interpreting for me, and he wouldn't walk all the way up there, and occasionally I would look back, and he was just kind of laying down. <laughs> I'm preaching to thousands of people, and this guy's sitting on the, on the drum stand back there, and and I was so frustrated. I was like, God, what did I do wrong? The next day, I preached in a very small church just two hours away from this city. 
And it was packed out. There was about 500 people there. I preached the same message. I felt like the Lord said, preach that same message of faith. And the whole church responded to the altar. Dozens of people got healed. Dozens of people got saved. There was an outpour. You could feel the presence of God so thick in the room. And I heard the Lord say, the difference was these people valued my presence. These people cherished the word of God. They had a hunger. They had a lean in. They had an honor and a reverence. Just last week when I went to the PGA tournament, you could feel the honor and the reverence when Tiger Woods would walk down a certain part of the field. Everyone was quiet with their phones out. They were like, don't say anything. It's Tiger Woods. He's 10 feet away from us. And it was 30 people back, I mean, thousands of people reverencing the presence of Tiger Woods. What if we reverence the presence of God the way that people reverence the presence of an athlete or a celebrity? What if we reverence the very presence? What if we said God is in the room? His word is being preached. Oh my God, he's about to do something miraculous in this place. What if we reverence God? The way that we reverence athletes and, 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 and celebrities, there, there was such a reverence that miracles begin to happen. Left and right, watch what happens. Verse 13, no one dared to join this group because they were so respectful of them. They were highly regarded. The church was influencing society. Instead of society influencing the church, the church was influencing. Come on, God's getting ready to give the keys of America back to the church. Public schools are about to open to spirit-filled churches. There's about to be discipleship programs in feeding centers, in homeless shelters, in medical. God's about to do something in hospitals, in orphanages, in boys' homes, in rescue homes, where there's been a shut door to the church. God's getting ready to unlock doors that have been shut in America because the church has the answers to the problems in the world. I'm telling you, they were influencing society. Verse 14, more and more people begin to believe in the Lord and were added to the number. So even though people were afraid of the church, they weren't afraid in the sense of, oh my goodness, this church scares me. They were going, this church is powerful. If I'm going to join this, I'm going all in. And all of a sudden, people just started surrendering their hearts to Jesus. Thousands of people started joining the church. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets. Can you imagine if people went into, you know, if like nurses and doctors started saying, hey, we got we to gotta get our patients out of St. John, out of St. Francis, and we got to bring them to victory. We got to get to that parking lot service because people are getting healed. People are literally getting healed of cancer, of sickness and disease. People were being brought on beds and mats that when Peter's shadow would cross past someone, people would get healed because of the shadow. Man, I can just feel the power of the Holy Spirit in the room today. Crowds would gather from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and tormented by impure spirits. Can I tell you what we saw in Uvalde, Texas, what we've seen in all of these mass shootings is there is a, a demonic oppression on men's minds. When you study just what has cause some of these people to do what they're doing, there is impure spirits that have touched the minds. Every shooting has happened from a male. Every mass shooting. And what God spoke to me last year, I preached a message called healing the man's mind. And God reminded me this week, it is time for the church to focus on healing the man's mind. Because there are men who are causing destructive behavior. Not, there's an attack on children. There's an attack on children in our nation. There's an attack on kids in the classroom. There's an attack on kids in the bedroom. 
There's an attack. The enemy is in a perverted spiritual attack to try to uh, transform society's minds, starting with kids. And I'm telling you, the church is rising up. We are fighting back in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The book of Acts is needed more than we realize it. We need deliverance for men's minds, deliverance for women, deliverance for families. So they would gather, and those who were tormented in their mind would get healed, healed of depression, healed of panic attacks, healed of oppression, healed of dark, destructive thinking. And then the high priest and the associates and the members of the party and the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Watch this. Instead of the religious people getting saved and joining the movement, if you can't stop it, join it. Instead, they got jealous. And here we have Caiaphas jealous of the power of these uneducated disciples. And they arrest the apostles and they put them in public jail. But during the night, God's about to do something during the middle of the night, in the middle of darkness. When you feel like you're down to nothing, God's up to something. God's about to break open prison doors for your family. God's about to bring prodigal sons back to church, prodigal daughters. God's about to heal relationships that literally look impossible to heal. God's about to open doors that have been locked shut. Jail cells are about to open during the middle of the night an angel of the lord opened the doors of the jail and brought peter and john out go stand in the temple courts he said and tell the people about this new life everybody say this new life we have a miniature book here at victory that grand grand has just continued to champion that my dad wrote that now how many millions of this new life books have been printed mom grand grand millions. It's, it's all over the world. It's been translated in multiple languages, at least a dozen plus languages. It's, it's in Russian. It's all across Africa. It's in South America, Central America. It's in Spanish and Portuguese. It's in Chinese. It's all over Asia. This new life book from Victory Church is just a small 50-page book. I got an email this week from a guy who says, we have ran out of this new life books. We've passed them out to all the inmates in every prison in Oklahoma. We need more this new life books. They're just these small books talking about this new life in Jesus. People are getting saved because of the small printed material that's flowing from this church. Can I tell you, Victory, you are already spreading revival and salvation just through what you're doing, being part of what God's doing. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. When the high priest and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. They said, go get those guys out of prison. When they went to the prison, it says in verse 23, we found the jail securely locked with guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, they were wondering, they were, they were at a loss for words, what is going on? And someone came in and said, look, the men you told to stop preaching are standing in the temple courts. The men you locked up in jail, they are now preaching and we can't stop it. This church is unstoppable. They're unbreakable. We can't tame them. We can't sophisticate them. We can't put them in a box. This church is unstoppable. At that, they did not use force because they feared what the people would do if they touched the apostles. The power was so strong on the church, they could not stop them. Man, I love this. I want the band to come out. Verse 28, it says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined. Somebody say determined. 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 You are determined. You're determined. 
Now, the, the Pharisees thought, you're determined to make us feel guilty. The apostles knew, no, we're determined to lead people to Christ. We're determined to lead people to repentance, to find forgiveness of sins, to find salvation, to find this new life. Peter and the other apostles replied to the Pharisees. They said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Oswald Chambers says, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you trust in God, when you reverence God, you're not afraid of what man can do to you. Man might be able to take your life, but they cannot take your soul. Peter would be hung on a cross upside down. John would be thrown in boiling oil. He would be exiled to an island called Patmos. Paul, most people believe that Paul was killed uh, during the time of Nero in the Roman Colosseum. Um, All these, Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death. None of these men feared their lives. They lived with a boldness, a courage. And church, we're not even being persecuted that badly in America. We have a reason to keep on preaching the gospel, to keep on worshiping, keep on gathering. We don't know how much longer we have before Jesus returns. Let us not neglect gathering together, preaching the name of Jesus, demonstrating the gospel. There are nations where they have literally shut down the ability to gather, and yet we have a freedom here in America still to gather, to worship, and pray. Men and women paid their lives for us to do this. Let's not resolve to just be a convenient Christian church who stays home, who says, I'm too tired to get up. I don't want to sacrifice to drive to church. It's just too much. I got to pay $4 for gas. There are men and women who paid their lives in blood so we could gather to worship Jesus to pray, to stand together, to contend for revival. So these disciples, they said, we're not going to do what you ask. We're not going to do it. Praise God for godly governors and mayors and leaders. We need to pray for that in our nation. There were people in this time who wanted to stop the church. And they said, we are witnesses to what God has done. And he's given us this message. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious. They wanted to put these disciples to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, Gamaliel was the guy who taught Saul, who would later become Paul. I can't wait to get into that part of Acts. It's so good. It's, in, it's, in, it's going to be in chapter 8, 9, and, and 10. It's going to be powerful. You don't want to miss this series. But Gamaliel, he stands up to the Sanhedrin and he says, listen, men of Israel, Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied around him, but he was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him was Judas the Galilean, appearing in the days of the census, and he led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers scattered. Now, Gamaliel is about to prophesy about the church, and he doesn't even know it. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop victory, church. If it is from God, you won't be able to keep them from gathering. You won't be able to stop what they do in the city. You won't be able to stop how they impact North Tulsa, South Tulsa, East Tulsa. 
west, you won't be able to stop them from meeting in the parking lot or the rooftop. The enemy might come for them, but he doesn't stand a chance against the God who's inside that house. If it is from God, they are unstoppable. You will find yourselves fighting against God himself. His speech persuaded them. They flogged the disciples. They whipped them. They ordered them. Don't you speak in the name of Jesus. But the apostles left and they praised God for the adversity that they had gone through, the suffering they had gone through. And day after day, they would meet in the temple courts and from house to house on first Wednesdays, they would worship God. They would light their candles saying, Christ is light. They would proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, before we pray, can I take five more minutes and then we're just going to pray and worship. Seven things we can learn from the early church. Seven things that they teach us in this moment. Number one, purity. They had a purity about them. What made them spiritually strong and healthy was the purity. They were committed not to be perfect, but to let the Holy Spirit purify their hearts, starting with that very beginning of Acts 5, saying, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it all in. If we're going to give, we're going to give with honesty. Number two, they had power. These leaders modeled an attractive, supernatural power that met humans' needs. They were, they were walking in power. Number three, they endured persecution. The church will endure persecution. Opposition only strengthens something that God has anointed. God, God said, you will face troubles of many kind, but take heart, I've overcome the world. When you go through persecution personally, or you go through persecution corporately, just know this, opposition is purifying you, it's strengthening you, it's testing your faith, it's making you more genuine. Number four, they had a proclamation. They would, they would proclaim the word of God, the good news. While the world was shouting bad news, they were shouting victory through Jesus Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? victory. But thanks be to God who causes us to, they had a proclamation. Y'all, when we stand up and we proclaim the victory confession, we are literally proclaiming good news, our best days. I've read the book of Revelation. I know how it ends. The devil is defeated and the church wins. I don't care what's going on in America in 2022. Jesus has the final say. God says his church is going to shine brighter and the enemy is defeated. Shout unto God with the voice of victory. Number five, they had priorities. The leaders would clearly lay out their top priority, which was to spend time with Jesus, to pray, to hear from God, and then to begin to make their decisions based off of that top priority. Don't let society, don't let your company decide your priorities. Make a personal decision. I'm putting Jesus at the top of the list. We're going to get to church every week. I'm going to make an effort to get my kids in children's church. I'm going to train them up in the word of God. I've got priorities. I know right now it's crazy. It's busy. There's all kinds of different sports schedules and different things going on and work asks you to do this. Put Jesus at the top of your priority list and watch what happens in your family. Number six, praise. They had a powerful praise. They had a praise in the midst of adversity. They kept on giving thanks to God. They praised God for every season they walked through. And number seven, they had perseverance. The leaders would continue to influence Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Rome. They had a, a life of conviction. They would persevere no matter what they walk through. Would you stand your feet all over this place? Lord, I pray, God, for a persevering church. I pray for pastors and leaders to rise up, God, specifically in Uvalde, Texas, to surround these families who have lost children. Let's just take a minute to pray for moms and dads and family members of these kids, these 21 people who were killed this last week in a school shooting. 
If you don't know what to pray, just pray in the Spirit. If you don't know how to pray in the Spirit, just say a few words to God. Say, God, I pray for peace. Listen, a prayer is never a bad idea. Prayer is powerful. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Corporate prayer, personal prayer. Don't underestimate when, they, when the disciples would pray, things would change in their hearts. Prayer is our first response. It's not our last resort. Prayer is how we respond to what's going on in our nation. So Lord, we pray right now. God, for moms and dads who just lost a 10-year-old boy, who just lost a 10-year-old girl. We pray, God, for husbands and wives. We pray, God, for family members of these kids, of these teachers. We pray for your comfort, your peace, God. We have no clue what they're going through right now. Some of them are, are, are going through terrible thoughts in their minds, feelings of hurt and anger and guilt and grief and shame. And God, we just pray in Jesus. Some, some parents are just afraid to even go back to school, afraid. There's, there's, there's fear that's been caused by the enemy because of this. And we bind it in Jesus' name. And we bind the demonic power of the enemy trying to inflict and, and, and to influence men's minds, women's minds, kids' minds teenagers minds we pray God for revival in America we pray for revival in public schools in Christian schools in private schools in homeschool co-ops we pray in Jesus name God that what the enemy intended for harm God where there's been so much hurt and grief and murder God I pray in Jesus name that you would God that you would stir up a hunger in your church to contend for generations to contend God to minister to those who are tormented in their minds in Jesus name we bind the devil from trying to stir up another shooting and God we pray for wisdom for our leaders wisdom God for our, our, our governmental leaders wisdom God for those in Texas those in Uvalde God we pray in Jesus name Lord you know all things you know every part of this story God where society is getting stirred up in division and strife and there's all kinds of political arguments Lord let the church arise with the voice of hope with the voice of peace with the voice of grace with the voice of love with the voice of compassion with the voice of truth in Jesus name let us not be swayed God by divisive arguments but God let us get involved with prayers God with petitions Lord let us get involved God with our hands and our feet and I pray in Jesus' name for mentors to get involved in the youth groups across America. I pray, God, for spiritual moms and dads to help mentor young boys and girls who are struggling with all kinds of mental disorders. And I pray in Jesus' name, God, for families who've lost children. God, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them. I pray that you'd be with them in the middle of the night. God, I pray that you would be with them on the holidays, that you would be with them on the days where they just are, are missing their kids. And God, where there's hatred and there's anger and there's a sense of wanting to get revenge, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would lead us to a place of godly repentance. And Lord, receiving forgiveness and grace, I pray for every man and woman in this room today, every person, God, who just needs renewal in their minds just needs purification in their hearts. God, draw us to you. When we don't know what to do, let us draw to you. Let us look to you. Let us find healing in you. The Holy Spirit is saying he can heal that too. He can heal that too. He doesn't just heal tumors. He doesn't just heal headaches. He heals hearts. He heals marriages. He heals prodigal sons. He heals depression. He heals anxiety. 
He heals those habitual sins that you keep going back to. He can set the captives free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set the captives free from dark thinking, whatever it is that's plagued your thoughts, your heart, your emotions, your feelings. Maybe you're here today and you just need the Holy Spirit to bring healing to your mind. Maybe you're just quickened right now to pray for family members, for friends all over this room. If you know you need to get down to this altar today for something specifically in your life that you need the Holy Spirit to do, or it's for someone else, I want you to leave your seat. Come and find a place at this altar. If you need to surrender something to God, if you need to lay something at his feet, if you're saying, Lord, I surrender this to you. Lord, I'm choosing to worship instead of worry. I'm choosing to pray instead of panic. I'm choosing to be a solutionist instead of complain about it. I'm choosing to let you help me to know how to get involved instead of just talking about it and watching the news. Lord, I'm choosing to let you renew my mind. I'm choosing to let you renew my heart. I'm choosing to ask you to heal my marriage, heal my family, heal my mind, heal my life right now. Whatever you need, just bring it to the altar. Ask God for his help. Ask the Holy Spirit to get involved. If you need healing today, come down to the altar. If you need mental or emotional healing today, come down to the altar. If you need God to get involved in your family, if you're praying for a son, if you're praying for a dad, if you're praying for a husband, if you're praying for a wife, if you're praying for a mom, if you're here today and you are desperate for God to move in your life, just leave your seat. Come down to this altar. 